So this is wisdom from heaven for life on earth, practical studies from Proverbs. This is part 12. I want to talk to you tonight about pride, humility, and the road to the good life. We're going to look at pride and we're going to look at its opposite, humility. And and it's important um, that those two subjects be looked at carefully because they form the soil from which everything else in your spiritual life grows. There are disciplines, important disciplines, that get tacked onto the Christian life. And so you learn to study the Bible. You go to church regularly because you can't be a Christian and not go to church regularly. And you you learn to pray and you learn to share your faith and you learn all of these things that you do as a Christian. And they're all essential and very important. But what we're looking at in this kind of a study is the kind of soil in which those disciplines grow and become fruitful. Without the right kind of heart. It's not that the word isn't uh, inspired and it's not that the word isn't true. How can I put it? Without a proper heart, the word is like an excellent, flawlessly designed sundial at midnight. There's nothing wrong with the sundial. But it needs the kind of heart, a cultivated heart, in which the Holy Spirit can work so that the word applied bears fruit and does what it's designed to do. Don't let the Bible become your sundial at midnight. So pride and humility. I'm going to start with pride. The problem, of course, with looking at a subject like this is it's so countercultural. We, we, it's like a fish swimming in the ocean that, of course, when you're in the ocean all the time, you don't think of yourself as being wet. And we live in a culture that feeds our self-image to such an extent that we have actually come to believe that the exaltation of self is a healthy preoccupation. And you are looked at strangely if you preach the virtue of self-denial and humility as it's taught in the Scripture and as it's lived out in the kingdom of God. There is nothing more countercultural than this kind of truth. The same with humility. It, it, it just doesn't work in this world. Donald Trump didn't get where he is by being humble, you know. It's hard not to base the forming of values in our heart. It's hard to base them on things other than immediate results, immediate appearances, and the values in which we are immersed, like the fish swimming in the ocean. The truth of the word goes against every natural fiber of our being that self-promotion will bring success. It's hard to believe that self-promotion is a joy killer because it seems like it's the best way to secure and enhance our daily existence. And it's hard to believe life on God's terms will work. 
And so Jesus starts talking to his disciples. He starts talking to his followers. This isn't in your notes, but it's Luke 9, 23 and 24. And he said to all, if anyone... So here's the net being thrown out to include anybody that responds to Jesus at all. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So, so when Jesus... We talk about taking up our cross and taking up our cross daily. And it comes to mean for Christians almost anything that is a bit of a chore and a bit of a burden. I've got lumbago. I get migraines. Um, my neighbor doesn't like me. Well, I'm just going to, you know, it's my cross. Jesus isn't talking about that. He's, he's talking about a, a process of how we evaluate and look at ourselves, how, we've, how the values we form about ourselves in this world. And Jesus is saying, if anyone's going to follow me at all, the process begins with something deleted before it's something added. Did you get that? The process begins with something deleted before it's something added. If anyone wants to follow me, here's how you start. You, a cross. That's the first step. Did you hear me crunching my cough candy? I got a mic right there. Want to hear it? No, you probably can't. The first step is down if you want to follow Jesus. So we had this baptism. And the first thing isn't coming up out of the water, is it? The first thing is going down into the water. Why did Jesus want to make that so visibly manifested? Well, that, that's the pattern. There's, there's being baptized, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, you must be baptized. If you're here, you're professing Christ, and you haven't been baptized, get baptized. And don't let pride or anything else keep you from that. But the first thing is be baptized. But the second thing is live baptized, for the rest of your days. The, the way up is down. This is how it starts. Deny yourself. Humility. Self-denial. Point number one. In the long run, a proud heart will lead the life into self-destruction and a fall. Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. Put yourself forward. Do you see it? Get out there. Sell yourself. Marketing. Don't put yourself forward in the king's presence. There's someone to be impressed. Or stand in the place of the great. It's better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. It's better to be bumped up than moved down. That's what, that's what the Proverbs is saying. We know that Jesus put great stock in that proverb because he takes that little saying and he builds a whole story around it. Doesn't this look familiar? Luke 14, 7 to 11. Now he told a parable... To those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So now, 
Jesus is going to tell a parable. But what starts Jesus' story isn't a parable. What starts Jesus' story is something he actually saw people doing, okay? It's a real event. He's watching people invited, and he's noticing that they are working their way to the best, most visible seats. That's what's actually happening. That's what makes Jesus tell the story. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Here's what he said. Tell me if this sounds like the proverb to you. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. So this is Jesus' description of someone taking honor for himself, right? He wasn't called up to these seats. He's taking honor for himself. Don't do that. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you'll we'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. When you're invited, go sit in the lowest place. This is Jesus' description of someone someone refusing an honor to which he was entitled. We know he was entitled to it because the, the wedding host is going to come and say, no, 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 you should be up here, okay? Everybody knew that. Here's a person who belongs in a better seat, but he refuses to take honor that's entitled to him. This is self-denial, right? That's what we're witnessing here. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone, here's the punchline, who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus takes that proverb that we read, Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. Jesus fleshes it out because notice how Jesus has this working functionality with the word. The Old Testament scriptures. He sees something happening at a wedding and instantly he can build around Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. Do you know your Bible like that? And so Jesus fleshes it out And you can see some of the lessons. A, there's the obvious disaster that comes from not knowing your place. And we're meant to see ourselves here. There's this tendency to see ourselves as as deserving places of honor. What would make this person sit there? Entitled. None of us admits that kind of pride. But it's not a matter of the words we say. The person moved down at the banquet, demonstrated his pride in assuming that no one else was more deserving of the seats of honor than was he. So there were no place cards. So first come, first serve. Grab the best seats. Again, remember, Jesus makes the parable up but the situation that he saw wasn't made up. It was actually happening. It's very easy. I think Christians need to guard against... This isn't in your notes. I I think we live in an era where even with social media, social media is is a, a great conveyor of information, 
but guard against, let's just put it this way, guard against the pride of social media. Nowhere, nowhere will you see more Christian brothers and sisters arguing over theological and political differences than on Facebook and Twitter, sometimes with absolute cruelty to each other. And because you can't see the other's face, it's easy to think that words twittered aren't words spoken and that they don't reveal the real you or represent some kind of real pride. But that, that, that desire to win an argument in front of a huge audience, the desire to crush an opponent, the desire to mock and make fun of someone else, you lose even if you win in terms of the fostering of a proud heart, a dominating spirit. But there's great appeal, great draw. That, that background knowledge that there's a massive audience and you can speak to it instantly. Be careful about that moment and the way you use this. Make sure that whatever you say on your post comes across the way Jesus would say it. Not the way Pilate would say it. Here's another lesson. B, there's another kingdom coming where the proud will be abased. Jesus isn't saying, he tells that story, the guy takes a seat he shouldn't take and the host comes and says, no, 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 you don't belong there, move down. Okay? Proverbs, Jesus, the same the same lesson. Jesus isn't saying that always in this world will, will the proud be rejected and the humble be rewarded. Uh, humility isn't always rewarded that visibly and that instantly in this world. This world usually admires a person with a high opinion of himself more than ever today. But there's another kingdom coming, for sure another kingdom coming, and, and while not all exhibitions of pride and self get so uh, publicly reversed in this age, the inevitable reward of the humble and the rebuking of the proud is going to come, and wise people will prepare for that now. So pride leads to abasement. Humility leads to honor. There are at least two other proverbs, let me just mention them quickly, that summarize the same principle. Pride, fall. Humility, being lifted up. And they make it very succinctly. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. That's proud. But humility comes before honor. 29, 13, one's pride will bring him low. Doesn't mean it'll make him humble, but he'll be, he'll be embarrassed. But he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So the theme of, the theme of those two verses is, is this. Um, a proud heart before people nourishes a proud heart before God. What is the big deal in, you know, that the parable about the wedding, 
the proverb that we read at the beginning, take the poorer seat, be moved up. Don't take the best seat and be moved down. What is the big deal of before people uh, exhibiting a humble spirit? Why does that matter so much? And here's the reason. Humility before people trains us in humility before God. Arrogance and pride before people in social situations trains us in arrogance and pride before God. And the problem is proud people don't listen to God. And we need to listen to God. And so what is recommended, yea, commanded in the Scriptures, is in our relationships with each other, in the body of Christ, at work, at school, with your friends, everywhere we go. Develop, develop a humility in front of people because that will train you when, when God speaks. One, one of the real problems in a culture like we live in where, where a lot of times children don't listen to parents and students don't listen to teachers... And citizens don't listen to the law of the land. The huge problem is one day everyone's going to grow up and listen to God the same way they listen to these authorities. And I'll tell you how. They don't. And you can't suddenly come to the place where God now is going to speak and your heart is going to be tender and obedient and receptive when every institution on earth, it's, it's almost admired to be proud and arrogant and take a stance of resistance. And self-assertiveness. I got to be me. And a whole culture trains us then not to listen to our heavenly father. And that's damning. Eternally destroying. Point number two. The reason pride always brings ultimate failure, is the proud person sets himself against God. That's what I was just talking about. And God sets himself against the proud. Pride, it tends to head the list of the things God hates. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Number one, haughty eyes. And then the list seems to get darker. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Murder, what could be worse than that? A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Notice the way haughty eyes comes first. The other text I give you is 16.5. It's the same idea, kind of repeated. But the first makes it a little more obvious, the 16 to 19 of Proverbs 6. Notice how haughty eyes. And you look at that and you think, how can that even be a sin? What are haughty eyes anyway? It's, it's a, a, proud, a proud outlook, a proud stance. And the reason it comes first is... Pride is the, is the root sin of all those other outward actions that are listed there in 16, 17, 18, 19. The proud person is the one who thinks he cannot listen to God's ways in any of these other areas and he'll be fine. 
And where he gets that attitude, what makes him do those wicked actions is he has, he's right. He knows. That word abomination, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination. It's exactly the same word applied to those who commit homosexual acts and acts of idolatry throughout the scripture. God is not at all neutral about a proud heart. That's why, be assured, 16.5, he will not go unpunished. Well, if that's all true, Pastor Don, point number three, how can I know if I have a proud heart? How can I know if I have a proud heart? We have a little, um, oh, what's it called? You plug it into the wall and it's a carbon monoxide detector. Do you have one of those in your house? I have my grandkids over, and my youngest grandson, Jack, he just discovered it, that if you hit that button on there, it is, it is just oodles of fun because the whole house just rings with this alarming sound. The idea behind it is, of course, that you, you can't see, apparently even smell, carbon monoxide. It's this silent, invisible thing in your house, and so you need something that will manifest, make visible, audible, something that otherwise might be undetectable because you can't see it. So pride, we said, it's, it's in here. It's where everything else flows out of. How do you know if pride is present? What, what alarms go off? What lets you know? Here are some things quickly. A proud person mocks the truth. Sticking with Proverbs here, 21-24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant a haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. He mocks things. You can point out something true, and, he, and he's, he's, he's above it. He's not bright enough to argue against it. All he can do, it's a lame attempt to poke fun at truth and correction and advice and conviction. The most dangerous thing about a proud person is he's very much like the fool. He's set himself against honestly dealing with his own condition. The one thing he desperately needs to know about himself, pride, the nature of pride is it's the one thing you can't admit because it takes humility to admit pride. Secondly, a proud person is contentious. Proverbs 13.10, by insolence comes nothing but strife. But with those who take advice is wisdom. It's like the last point, a little different. Proud person, would, he'll, he'll resist advice before he even hears the whole thing. He'll argue against truth that he knows because he doesn't want to let it, let it affect his heart. He can't admit that he would be wrong. You'll never show a proud person anything worthwhile about himself without him becoming your enemy. Three, a proud person's words are bigger than his actions. I love 2514, like clouds without, clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. There's, there's, uh, 
you see the sky getting dark, you see the clouds, you feel the wind, and the soil is parched and dry, but all you get is the clouds and the wind, and you don't get the rain. Dark clouds, strong storm winds have the appearance of rain, but nothing to give moisture to the parched ground. It's easy to forget our limitations in this world. Like the text talks about specifically a person who offers a gift, but he can't give it. But, but he, wants, he wants the bravado of looking a certain way. James, we studied these words, 13 to 16 of James chapter 4. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there. Make trade, make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast. You boast in your arrogance. I didn't see any boasting in it, though. Read those verses. This is not someone saying, I'm great, I'm mighty, look at me, oh, I'm beautiful, I'm handsome, I'm really something. There's none of that. This is just a person saying, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. What's wrong with that? Well, here's what's wrong with it. And it isn't just, you're supposed to say, Lord willing, in front of everything you do. It's not like a lucky rabbit's foot, as long as you say, Lord willing, you know, that everything's fine. That's not what, that's not what James means. He, he's talking about the way pride forms so naturally in our heart. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, pride grows in the human heart like lard on a pig. It's true. Pride grows in the human heart like lard on a pig. It's it's just that capacity to think independently. Not wickedly, independently. Here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what I'm going to do after that. Forgetting that the breath that you have this minute, you may not have next minute. God gives it. it. Our lives are so short, it's so brief. Here's a person just making his plans as though he had the capacity to accomplish all those things in his own strength. Four, here's another manifestation of pride. The proud are marked by greed and refuse to make room for God in their thoughts and affections. This is not Proverbs, it's Psalm. Psalm 10, 3 and 4. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul... And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord in the pride of his face. The wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts, not his words, all his thoughts are there is no God. He's, he's, he's not got God anchoring his thoughts. He's not got any thought of eternity in all of his planning, in all of his desires. He's thinking about, well, the desires of his soul. He's thinking about gain in the middle of verse 3. And it's, it's, it's a pride that, that can't include God. There is no God. And please notice, atheism has its root in greed and pride. 
Atheism in the scriptures is never linked to ignorance. It's not that there's a shortage of legitimate evidence for the God of the scriptures. But the proud are so in love with themselves that they cannot afford to have their affections and pursuits distracted by anyone else, including God. People don't deny God then because they know God doesn't exist, turn to wickedness. The opposite is true. They love wickedness and gain. Then they reject the idea of God. There simply isn't room for another God in their lives. When self is on the throne, how many gods can you have? So there is no other God. It's a monarchy of self. It's a dictatorship of self. So, of course, there's no room for any other ruler. For, we're almost done, the creation of a humble heart. If pride is so dangerous, humility so precious... He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So what can we do? Is there anything we can do? A, humility grows as we live in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 22.4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Um, Humility isn't denying your gifts, denying your abilities, saying, oh, woe is me, I'm no good, I'm no good. No, no, don't thank me, I'm, I'm no good, it's nothing, I'm nothing. Don't, that's not what humility is. Humility is not looking at self at all. Humility is a God consciousness where the life gets so absorbed in the greatness of God that there just isn't time to be absorbed in the greatness of self. Humility comes from God consciousness. B, humility comes from devoting your energies to the greater glory of God. 25, 27, it is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Find something great to do for God. We talked about it this morning, the way Paul rejoiced in the church at Philippi because they shared his passion, glorying in the gospel. Read your Bible a lot this year. Find something you can do for the Lord this year. Get involved in your local church this year. Sacrifice more than last year for missions and world evangelism. Get something big at the core of your existence. Be more passionate about God than self. This is the way, by the way, Peter said, Peter said, People would want to know the reason for the hope that is in us. You know the verses in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. So, so how we react to persecution... What people see at the center of our lives, and they'll see that when, when what is at the center of their lives isn't at the center of our lives, and we still aren't dejected about it. In other words, they'll see that there's something else that generates joy and passion in our hearts. Peter says people are going to notice that. What makes you tick anyway? Why aren't you upset with what's happening? How can you still have joy in your heart? Look what they're saying about you. 
You lost your job because you were following Christ. You ought to be miserable. I would be. How come you aren't? There, Peter says, now you've got a reason. What's the hope you have? What makes you tick? Three, true humility comes to those who listen to God and others. Proverbs eleven twelve. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. With the humble is wisdom. Also, Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. It's similar to the fool. Anyone can say he loves humility. Who, who's going to admit to loving pride more than humility? Tell you what, humble people um, listen. Humble people listen to others. Humble people will listen to other people. Not just, of course, we're, we know we're going to listen to God when he speaks, and who's going to know if we don't anyway? But the way the heart gets trained in humility will be with people that, that you might not even consider your equal but who can offer advice and correction, and you can listen. You can, you can humble. Remember, humility before people trains us in humility before God. Lastly, the pattern of humility. I can just read the words. Have this mind among yourselves. Notice among yourselves, it's a, it's a corporate thing. This is not just you by your bed and your devotions. Among yourselves. So here we are, us, together. What, what, should it fe- what should the mental climate be in Cedarview Community Church? What, what should people feel, visitors, when they walk into this place? They might not know the theology. Let this mind be among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, talk about one who's entitled to the best seats, Okay? Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He took the lower seats, okay? Like in his parable. If anybody was qualified to give that parable, it was our Lord. When the ruler of the universe doesn't take the throne, but takes the lowest seat, he's entitled to say, this is what I'd like you to do. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then you get moved up to the better seats. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what I want you to remember. In a little bit, worship team will come out here and we'll start singing and we'll sing praise songs to Jesus. If that verse is true, the reason God has so ordained that we worship and praise Jesus in a house like this isn't just because, well, he's God, you know. The reason his name gets glory and honor and we all bow before him and extol his greatness isn't just because of his innate greatness. The reason we do it is because he took the form of a servant and he died on the cross for our sins. 
and then God has exalted him and given him a name above every name. And so when we worship Jesus in this place, the thing that draws us isn't, and I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying, but it isn't just his greatness in terms of his sheer existence as God the Son. What draws our hearts to him is that he came and took the form of a servant, redeemed us all, and now is lifted up to that place. If Jesus never came, he would always exist as Jesus, God the Son. But we would have no way of approaching him. Agreed? We would have no way of reaching him. By the way, comma, different topic, just for a second. This is why when someone says, Allah and God, we're worshiping the same God. I bear no fight with anybody. But I've talked to Muslims who say, we worship the same God, you know. And my, rather than getting in a long argument, you know my immediate question to them is, do you pray to Allah? They'll say yes. And I say, how do you get to him? Because I can't reach my God on my own. The only way I can even talk to him is that Jesus came and died on the cross and opened a way. Well, we don't believe in the Trinity. Jesus wasn't God. You know how you get to your God? You just hope you're being good enough and devout enough. But that's not the God I pray to. The God I pray to is the one who came, took the form of a servant, and now is at the right hand of the Father, name above every name, intercedes, I have access I don't know how you get to your God, but I know the only way I can get to mine is through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And you start to realize we're talking two different worlds. Two different worlds. Okay, it took too long. Let's pray.